Good morning. Sorry for that little glitch. Uh, my name is Chris. If you don't know me, um, me and my family, which are generally sitting over here at this table, um, uh, we just kind of moved over here from Washington State. Uh, we were sinners over there, and now we get to be sinners here in Florida. So you're welcome. I get to, you guys get to have our sinful presence. So, no, um, we're happy to be here. Um, Pastor Joel and his family went on vacation last week, uh, or this past weekend, and he asked me to preach and deliver the word. And um, I am really happy to be a part of that. Um, I did some preaching, just to know my history, I did some preaching in the past at our old church. Uh, where I was an elder at one point. Um, it's been probably eight years or so since I've stood at the pulpit. So uh, maybe six. But it's been a long enough times around the sun to the point where, you know, I haven't quite done it all the time. So needless to say, though, uh, God is still true as he was back then, as he is now. And we're going to get the chance to, uh, to see that, right? If you remember uh, back from last week, it was Easter Sunday, right? Um, Joel went through um, the, the, um, the situation where uh, God was, or Jesus was sitting in a house, right? If you remember, if you recall, Jesus was in a house and he was teaching to a bunch of people, okay? So what happened was is that these great group of friends really wanted their buddy to be saved. Really, they just wanted him to walk again, right? So if you remember, these, uh, these great friends, they did like what any friends would do because they couldn't get into Jesus' house. They started tearing the roof off. They rigged up some block and tackle, lowered their buddy down at Jesus' feet. And what did Jesus do after that? He, he forgave him his sins, right? And everybody there was like, uh, well, I mean, that's cool and great and all. Like, he forgave his sins, but the dude can't walk, right? And little, and, and little did everybody know at that point in time, right, is that Jesus gave him the best gift, the best healing, the best show of a physician that this guy could ever have, right? But just as to give them petty proof, and I say petty proof in quotes because Jesus didn't have to, but he did. He said, get up and walk, and the dude picked up his bed and he walked away, right? Now, all of the Pharisees that were there, that were standing there watching all this, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to take Jesus and understand what their understanding of the law and how to cram him into that. And then it just seemed weird. It's like Jesus can speak all of these words uh, about, you know, an old Hebrew text, and he can speak all this, all this scripture, and he can speak things into existence. He can heal, like, what's going on? And they found him to be blasphemy against it, right? So they were already on the, on the fence. They were already mad or irritated, if you will, that Jesus has this power because it just doesn't fit their bill. It just doesn't fit where they're at. Okay, so that's from last week. So this week now, we get a chance to see what happens next. And just like Mark, we've talked about this multiple times, Mark tends to skip through stories and stories, and he uses words like immediately. Now, this doesn't have the word immediately, but we could kind of deduce that that's kind of the same. So if you can, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read from 13 to 17 today. And before I read, I am going to pray for our time, because that is something I think we should all do when we go to read his word, right? So would you pray with me? 
Uh, Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, God, and we ask that you would open your scripture to us. God, soften our hearts to see your word. Soften our hearts to see who you are in these words that have been captured for us. God, I ask, Lord, that uh, through this time that we can see you and see your gospel and see your mission for people, uh, for us really, and for others that are around us, and how, Lord, that we could be those people that reach others. Father, I ask that you would meet us here, that you would fill this pavilion with uh, your spirit, you would lead me in word. Um, also, God, it would be great if the rain held off for just a few. So that would be fantastic. So, God, uh, but it is your will, so however that rolls, is, we'll take it. So thank you, Father, for uh, being with us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, I need to grab my water real quick. <clears throat> so if uh, you're in, uh, if you're in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we'll start. Um, I read out of the NASB Bible, which you're, if you read out of the uh, ESV, it's very similar. You should be able to follow along quite, quite easily. So it reads in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13, he says, And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So uh, at, at, first, at, uh, at, first, at first read over, you could see a couple of people, a couple of people are kind of popping out on you. You have this guy named Levi who we're going to get into. Um, he is Matthew. Uh, in a lot of, they also call him Matthew. So there's some reasons there. Maybe Levi was his... Uh, was his non-Jewish name. Um, regardless, anyway, Matthew and Levi are the same people. This is the same Matthew that wrote the first gospel book that we read in our New Testament, right? So we'll get to see how and why he's such a great writer as we go on with this. But you also see that there's Jesus, there's sinners, tax collectors, right, and scribes and Pharisees. So if you kind of lump them up, you can see the different categories of people groups and the different categories of just individual people that are around in this. So as you see, we'll just start and we'll just blast through it one, uh, one verse at a time. So you can see in verse 13, it says that he went out and was teaching uh, by the seashore. So if you could see that Jesus was in Capernaum last Sunday, right? He was teaching in the house. So he went out down by the beach, was walking along the beach, um, and he came up to this guy that was uh, sitting there. Now, you mind, now, mind you, that there's other people that are trying to follow him in this, right? They're coming up to him. They know that this Jesus has been saving people. So as he's walking along, people are still trying to get at him, right? They're still trying to hear his teaching. I'm sure Jesus didn't walk there silently, although we don't quite know. But nonetheless, it says that uh, 
people were coming to him and he was teaching them. So whatever that teaching was, we have no idea what it is, but I imagine that it had something to do with, obviously, the gospel, right? And I honestly, at where we're at, I don't know if all these people knew exactly why they wanted to hear his teaching. It was fresh. It was probably a new perspective for them. But a lot of it, they honestly might have had this idea that, like, this guy heals, like, and they hope that the healing of the heart takes place right. But really what they like seeing is the physical healing, like people getting up. Like, later on, we'll see, like, what we already saw, like, demons being casted out, right? Some crazy, miraculous things being happening, right? So, but he was walking by the beach, and he ran into this guy called Levi. He was sitting at a tax booth, right? And he says to him, follow me. And Levi then stops, closes up shop, and says, fine, let's do this, right? So, and you have to think that this is, uh, this is crazy. So, this Levi guy, right, he's sitting at this tax booth. Now, I'm going to go into a little bit about what tax collectors do, okay? So, we know that this, this Levi is a Jew because he says he's the son of Alphaeus. And if you were a reader and hearing this for the first time, you would refer you would understand that Alpheus was a, a Jewish guy, and they're like, oh, that was Alpheus, Alpheus's kid. Okay, I get it, right? So we know that he was a Jew, but he was ostracized from Jewish people because of his occupation. Now, being a tax collector in these days wasn't something that, you, that the Jewish customs really uh, aspired to be. You essentially, if you were a tax collector, you sold your soul to Rome, and you became a collector of their taxes. These people were outcasts from Jewish customs. <clears throat> they were outcasts from Jewish customs. They weren't allowed in the synagogue. They were considered, for all intents and purposes, unclean. And the Jews at the time really, really hated these people, right? Because they, had, they, they were Jews, and they said, nope, I am going to push that off to the side, and I'm going to live for Rome, right? So the way this worked now is you've got Rome, that's now controlling Jews through taxation, right? And how that worked is uh, Rome set up a, um, uh, they set up a, a zones, different zones for different tax collectors, right? Matt happened to have the one by the beach in Capernaum, right? So Matt won the bid on that zone, and he basically was there to collect the taxes that Rome wanted to have in that certain area, so this was anybody and everybody who was walking by. This is people that were coming in from the port with fish, right? So he would tax them, and taxation was, uh, uh, what I've read, was uh, either money or goods, right? It could have been like a, um, uh, an animal, or it could have been actual physical money, right? But nonetheless, he, was, he, had to, he had to tax them. Now, the way the tax collectors got their money was that they overtaxed, Right? So all Rome cared about at the time was the amount of money that zone collected, and anything on top of that let the tax collectors got to keep at that time. Okay? So you can see why the, maybe the Jews would really hate them, right? And arguably, I could see why I would hate them. It's tax fraud. Okay? It's like these guys are padding their pockets. They're, making, they're becoming wealthy off the backs of other people. Jews hated it because they thought that their money, you know, and their, their goods it should be a part of the Jewish custom of being together, right? And they didn't want to give that away. Um, so, 
So Matthew, being of this tax collector, he had to keep really good books. Now, what I mean by this is, uh, this is ironic, because I just had my taxes done yesterday, and the guy was just like, you know, it was kind of nuts, right? But really, what uh, if maybe some of your Bibles might say it, but they don't say tax collectors, they say publicist, right? Or a publician. So what he did is he had to keep incredible records so that he could keep Rome off their back, off his back, right, to understand who was taxed. But also, if somebody came through that couldn't pay the tax, he indebted them to the tax man, right? So his records that he kept were incredibly detailed. Now, that's a really key point here as well, because it's interesting that Matthew then writes the first gospel that we see in our New Testament, right? It's interesting to see that this ostracized guy who is outcasted from all Jewish customs, who is, for all intents and purposes, he is a Jew, right? That Jesus chose him to be one of his disciples. And then later on, I mean, I, it, maybe I, I, it doesn't really say it, but maybe he knew all along that his skills in writing might actually be able to capture some of what he was doing later on, right? It's just an interesting connection there that you have to see that the guy took wicked awesome records, right? And then he also captured all of Jesus' life for us to read in the, in the scriptures. It's a really fascinating point, okay? So hopefully you can see in there why tax collectors in this day were so hated and how, uh, how crazy it was that Jesus reached out to this guy and asked him to follow him, right? Um, so um, I want to talk really quick about what it means that... Uh, why this was uh, so crazy for Matthew to follow Jesus, right? If you think back um, in chapter 1 of Mark, we saw that Jesus walked up to four fishermen, and he said essentially the same exact thing, right? It should sound familiar when we read this. He says, follow me, and they, and back in, in the, at the lake, the fishermen dropped their nets, and they just followed Jesus, right? This, he called Matthew... He said, follow me, and he just shut down shop. This was his own business he shut down, right? Now, this is a, this is a crazy point in the fact that um, Matthew, I, you can take it how you will, but in my, in my opinion, Matthew's decision to follow Jesus was so led by God and was so convicting that it was absolutely absurd because Matthew didn't have anything to fall back on if this Jesus thing didn't work out, right? I mean, at least the fishermen, they knew that they knew how to fish. They've been doing it for years now. They could at least go, well, I guess we'll go back to fishing. And we'll just go cast nets out. Matthew had nothing. He was already the outcast of the Jewish customs and traditions and Jewish culture at the time. And now quitting being a tax collector and giving Rome their cut, he was now ostracized from Rome, so, so Matt had nobody to fall back on. It was literally Jesus or nothing, okay? This is huge. This is huge. And I want to I stress the point of, like, how big this was. The big, 
And the decision that we don't get to see, at least scripture doesn't lead into like, maybe like there was like, all right, hold on, like maybe make sure this is, what scripture leads us to see is that it was a split second decision, right? That God had already done a work in Matt at that time. And he said, follow me. And he said, yep, that sounds like the idea. And he did it, right? He, he followed him. Okay? So, um, that's that. Now, you see uh, down, now we're going to jump down into verse 15. And we get to see what happens there, right? Um, it's not a far stretch to think that Matthew, at this time, was really excited because we see what he did is he threw a party. He's like, this is my new life. This is awesome. I'm throwing a party. And I'm inviting all my friends. And I'm going to get them all together because this Jesus guy is legit. And we're all going to get together and we're going to party and we're going to eat. Right? Now, if you look at the scene here in verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 15, it says that Jesus was reclining at the table with many tax collectors and sinners And he was dining with Jesus and the disciples. So you have to see that he's in a room. Now, Matt's house, probably from his, you know, sinful money or whatever, he probably had a pretty big house, right? A pretty big room, enough to fit whatever many tax collectors and sinners are in there. But think about, just stop and don't think about this being a story. Kind of put it in real life perspective, right? This is a giant room full of outcasts and people that don't belong. These aren't just like, these are outcasts from, from culture just because, and most people hated them, right? Because they collected taxes, they were sinners, probably and some of them were uh, promiscuous, if you will, and they, these were sinners of their time, right? These were the kids that were sitting, if you were in high school, like around my age, these were the guys that wore Janko jeans, right? Painted their fingernails black with Sharpie and played hacky sack in the corner, Right? And these were the guys that were always, they were the, you know, interesting ones. I even heard, uh, I even heard somebody say that there was tons of Dungeons and Dragons being played and that kind of thing. But nonetheless, this is a room full of people that were, of the time and era, the weird ones. They were the outsiders. They were the guys that they, or and the guys and probably gals that didn't really, they didn't fit in anywhere. And all of these people are sitting in this great giant room and who's sitting there chilling at the table? Jesus, right? Now, this is crazy, right? It's is a normal thing that we see, though, in every reaction that we have when we want to celebrate, right? We throw a party. We throw a party for birthdays. We throw a party for wedding receptions, okay? We throw a party for, you know, Christmas parties. And we invite our friends. And then what do we do at all these parties all the time? We eat, right? So, and that's pretty great. Because I really like partying, and the Bible says it's pretty okay to do, and I really like to eat, if you can't tell, right? So the point is, though, is that Scripture says it's okay to throw a party and to eat, and I think we should do that a lot, right? But nonetheless, it also says that Jesus was reclining at the table, and they were following him, right? Now, I want you to see that that part where it says following him, right, we don't get a glimpse and see that all of these sinners and tax collectors were now becoming believers. But we do, I can take a, a stab at it, and maybe you can too, 
that they were following him as if when Jesus was talking, they were tracking with what he was saying, right? They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I get that, right? They were following what he was kind of getting at and where he was going because some of these sinners, right, they may not have had any understanding of Hebrew law or Hebrew text, right, or any of the Old Testament that we have today. But nonetheless, they were probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I get it. I get it. So they were following him. They were kind of like, they were listening to Jesus. He was talking. They were like, yeah, this is actually, this is going quite well. So um, now we're going to go on to verse 16. And this is where a lot of the rub is. And I'm going to be honest with you, some of this is like, it was even hard for me because we see the, the scribes and Pharisees, we got this giant, let me set the scene up real quick before I get into that. But you got this, this scene where you have this giant room, sinners, tax collectors, there's a feast going on, right? Everybody's enjoying the company. Jesus is teaching. They're kind of tracking with what he's saying, right? They get it. And really, it's a, it's a room full of outsiders. And then who shows up, right? It's, this, it's this, the scribes and Pharisees. Now, to me, this is where I get tripped up on it. I'm like, wow, isn't that ironic? That these guys who claim to be, like, almighty and super awesome, like, they wouldn't ever dare to be around a bunch of sinners and tax collectors because of their uncleanliness, right? They're now on scene at this house where there's a giant party going on, Jesus sitting at the table, kind of like, it's okay that, you know, we're trying to really pin Jesus so we can... We could be here because we're doing our lolly duties, right, or something. So it becomes this issue where, for me, I'm like, all right, why are they there? Now, maybe they were on the outside, and they were just, like, too unclean for me, maybe. But nonetheless, we see in the Scripture, it says that they were there, right? And we see that they were... Um, now, we also see that uh, they said, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors, Right? Now, I don't know if this is like a, just a regular question, like they sat there and were like, hmm, I wonder why he's doing this, right? Because just like any, you know, super righteous person, they didn't just ask themselves and they didn't actually go to the source. They actually went to the disciples because that's what self, the self-righteousness would do. They'd be like, oh, Jesus is way too unclean now. I need to go talk to the disciples because that's, you know, what the right thing to do is, I suppose. So they go to him and ask, and they, they ask him, and I would agree, or I would argue that some of it probably was a bit of a snarky comment, right? It's like, why is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors? Kind of like, it's not like a, like a pondering question. It's probably more of a cutthroat question, right? They're trying to get to the core of like, you know, we really want to pin Jesus into a corner, right? And show how bad he is. And what they're trying to do is just is figure out every little detail they can and twist and manipulate these details, okay? So, and that tends to be a, the biggest problem that, that, uh, that the scribes and Pharisees have, right? So the scribes and Pharisees, um, they're very much into, they're very much into the law, Okay. The scribes and Pharisees saw the law as their God and not God in the law. So I'm going to say that again. The scribes and Pharisees saw the law as their God and not God in the law. Okay? 
They were masters of the law, though. They studied it in and out, okay? They devoted their entire life to scribing every word and every detail of Old Testament writings that we have today. And they could recall it from memory. They were able to teach it. And you have to say, and you have to understand that without the scribes, right, we wouldn't have necessarily the Old Testament that we have today, right? Because of their work and what they did, we, it helped to keep this, this, these, these words alive for us. So their, their, their sin, though, is how they understood their law and how the law was their, how their understanding of that law was their law, if that makes any sense. I'm saying that they had made new, um, they made new laws to kind of make it so other people had to obey these certain things and these certain customs because that was the right thing to do to meet, you know, one of the Old Testament laws that was already laid out, right? So they made the law their God, okay? And they just mixed up their works and deeds in following the law as well. They added rules. And the point is on all of this is that Jesus didn't fit into their law. Now Jesus fits into the law, but not the scribes and Pharisees' law because their law, for all intents and purposes, was a little different had the same words, but different understanding, right? So anyway, we'll get back to, we'll get back to the story here in, in, in Mark. So they ask, why is, he sitting, why is he sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Because they want to pin Jesus into a corner. They want to make him out to be this, uh, this, this enemy, of, enemy, of the, uh, enemy of the law, right? But think about it really quick. If you were one of the disciples and you had, at the time, these scribes and Pharisees were like the authority figures in Jewish customs, right? They were like, they were big dogs. They were kind of a big deal. People, people, you know, looked up to them. They gave them, you know, laws to follow. And these guys come marching up to the disciples, right? And they're like, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? What do you think the disciples would be like? I know for me, like, it doesn't actually say in here, but if I just use, like, a little bit of sanctified imagination, right, I'd be like, ah, yeah, not, not quite sure. Like, eh, ah, yeah, Jesus is over there. That's what he does, man. Like, he eats with sinners and tax collectors because why? Because it's Jesus, and that's just what he does. Like, you have to understand that they were probably a little, like, I mean, we don't get to see that kind of reaction, but know that these stories in the Bible are, these people are not just stories, right? These are actual people. So reactions to things are sometimes crazy and like, Matt, like Matthew deciding to leave his, his really cush job, right? But other reactions that you read about, like, these, like what the disciples might feel like in those situations is a very humanly response. It could be very humanly. It's like, yeah, yeah I know, it looks really weird. <laughs> There's a lot of... A lot of Jenko jeans and lots of hacky sack going on over there. Like, I'm not quite sure what, lots of Sharpies being passed around, fingernails being painted, right? But no, so that's the, that's the point is that uh, they, they just don't, they maybe didn't know what to say. But nonetheless, we get to go into the last verse that we have here. And in verse 17, 
And this is the, like, the mic drop moment, right? Where it says, Jesus says, And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come for the righteous, but I came for sinners. <clears throat> right? At this moment, when Jesus said this, everybody in this room who were the outcasts were now the incasts. Is that... I just invented a word, but that's kind of neat. But nonetheless, they were now included, right? This is Jesus' mission that he's, that, he's, that he's going out on, and he just included all of these people who were ostracized from Jewish customs, right? So he did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. I'm going to leave that up to, up to you guys to question, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more throughout uh, Scripture but the, I'm just going to, I'll just say this, because to be quite honest, that part is, it, it does, that's another part of this that trips me up a little bit, is that he did come for those that are righteous, right? In a sense, because they were sinners as well. If you look at the scribes and Pharisees, they were at this party, and they needed Jesus just as much as anybody else did. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting part of words in this situation, but he says he didn't come for the righteous. But why didn't he come for the righteous? Maybe they were already righteous. I don't know if he's describing that to the scribes and Pharisees per se. But nonetheless, he came, what, I think the point that we need to get out of it is that he's come for sinners, right? People that were outcasted from the community. And this is, this is huge because everybody in Jesus' close like party, in his, like, in his little gang, his little posse, right? They are all outcasts, right? You got fishermen. What do they do? Outcasts, get it? Anyway. But regardless, they were all pushed out to the side, right? They were all, they were all different, okay? So the point is, though, is that Jesus came uh, to save sinners. So the, kind of where we're going with all this you know, is, is there anybody in your day-to-day, -day, in your life, that you would think, nah, they would never be a Christian. Like, I can never see them actually loving Christ, right? Because in that case, if you do have some of those people, I would argue that maybe they could, right? I would say that I would say that Jesus came for them just as much, right? Do you have any of those friends that are like, oh my gosh, they would never, I could never see them loving Christ ever, right? Like that's a huge point too, right? One way or another though, it, all of us sitting here, we are disenfranchised in some way, shape, or form, okay? We need Jesus chilling at the table. They call it reclining. I'm going to say chilling because it sounds better. No, not really. Reclining is better, but... I say chillin'. But they need Jesus reclining. We all need Jesus reclining at the table, teaching us, and we need to be following him, right? These are good things for our soul, right? These are very good things. I invite you, like, obviously we have COVID, so be careful, but I invite you to throw a party. Invite people over. Invite people who are just, who, who, who know Christ or not or whatever, but who are friends, because friends do what together? They enjoy each other. We were made as people that love to be in relationship with other people, right? Whether you're, whether you're um, 
outgoing or not, right? <clears throat> um, but we are a creature that's designed to be with people. So I invite you, throw a party, invite people over, right? Christians, non-Christians, right? I invite you to do these things. It's an okay thing to do. Have some food, right? Celebrate the time that you get to have with some people, right? Be genuine in your faith and be firm in your faith and not wavering and falling into any traps that maybe sometimes parties can get into, like, you know, some of those parties that I remember back before I was a Christian, right? <clears throat> Don't fall into those traps. Invite Jesus to chill at the table with you guys. Lead your conversations. But these are just, these are life things that we can do as people because people like people, Right? Because really what it comes down, you know, really what it comes down to it is that we have a mission that God has given us to, to love our neighbors, right? Um, and to care for them and to give to them and to love them with the love that Jesus has given us, okay? I was that kid, just to let you know, I was that kid that painted his fingernails with Sharpie and wore Janko jeans. I, I was terrible at hacky sack, but I still tried it, Right? So, but I was that dude, right? So the part of that part of the story is that it's really real to me, that I was an outcast. Now, I grew up a little bit, right? And maybe changed a little things when I went into the Navy and all that. But I was still, I was still that weirdo kid that always felt weird. And then in some cases, I still feel like the weirdo kid, right? But it wasn't for, it had to be the people that were non-wavering in their sin, or I'm sorry, non-wavering in their faith, Right? that casted out their sin, laid it on Jesus, right? And then did not waver, but still cared about me, who I was as a person, right? That needed Jesus, a not yet believer, right? And that's the stuff that, for me, I am grateful for all of those people that had touches on my life that, that helped me to see and open my eyes to who Jesus was and has given me life today, they didn't know I was going to be a believer. They were just non-wavering in their faith. And they didn't really dwell or be anxious about if they won somebody to Christ or not. They were, just, they were just doing their deal. They were just walking with God, saying, God, lead me however you wish, right? It was those people that are the most dramatic impact on my life. And we have an opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity to do that. Um, every day that we have, right? And I invite you to do that. 